For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Okay, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm Matt, he's Larry, and we are going to talk a little bit about sort of where the Wizards are at post-playing post in the bubble and and where everybody else is that, that's kind of still left in the playoff picture. So, uh, Larry, I think the big thing for Wizards fans right now is Thursday evening, 8.30 on ESPN or 8.30 Eastern time on ESPN uh, is the NBA draft lottery. So I have the very complicated set of numbers here for the their draft chances. They have a four and a half percent chance of the number one pick, four point eight of the second pick, five point two of the third, and five point seven for the fourth pick. So basically, a twenty percent chance of a top four pick. And then, sort of beyond that, they can't get five, six, seven, or eight. They have a fifty percent chance of staying at number nine, twenty-five percent chance of dropping to number ten. And then they could fall all the way to 13th, but it's like almost a 1% chance of, of being that. So odds are they probably end up in the eighth or ninth pick, but just kind of curious, you know, what, what you thought, if you have any gut instinct here, I, I'm, I'm actually feeling a little lucky, but I don't, I don't want to do that without knocking on wood somewhere. Yeah, no, I, I think that it, it's, it's really been consistent um, as far as, you know, the probabilities, you know, have been. So I would point my my energy towards that eight ninth spot and really start to identify you know what sort of opportunities opportunities I would have there because just historically I mean who's ever supposed to get it they they've been getting it so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't jump the gun too fast. They had a little bit of movement last year with sort of these slightly tweaked odds you know I think New Orleans moved up a, a little bit but. Um, yeah, for the for the most part, I think you're you're spot on that there's not a ton of of people leapfrogging over the group, uh, you know, a, a bunch of spots. Uh, it just feels to me like for for the way this franchise has kind of been luck wise that the year everybody says is the weak draft year would be the year we would leapfrog everyone and get a top couple pick. That that seems like kind of the most wizards way that that could play out. It, it usually works out that way, right? They have a chance to move up, but but to your point, it's probably pretty likely that they should be uh, they should be planning their scouting around um, that sort of you know nine ten sweet spot. And this is one of those drafts I think where there isn't a Zion or a Jaw even, but there's there's a couple guys, but it really does seem to slope off around that nine ten spot, which is is a tough place to be in. I think. You know, I think too, what what hurts obviously the, the NBA game, the pro game is. 
the lack of the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. and the ability for those those kids, those guys to, you know, really up their stock, you know, and up their status because all eyes are on them. So mm-hmm. with the season being cut short, it's kind of putting the scout to the disadvantage to see who's going to step up to that pressure or what sort of diamond in the rough, you know, would kindly pop out, you know, during the during the tournament. So but overall, I think that there's some good talent, you know, mixed within, the, you know, the draft class. It's just an understanding of which is the best player that can help you push your push your momentum forward. I don't think that there's a game changer per se, but I think that there's talent within the draft that could begin to, you know, obviously help support, you know, the movements of, you know, the Wizards and definitely some of those teams that are on the back half of that, you know, 10 to 15 range in the draft. You go kind of best player available, and just for me, it's we need so much help across so many places. I, if there is a clear cut best guy, I would take it. If you're 50 50, then maybe you let need be the tiebreaker. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, I think if you have direction and you have your core built and you have your direction, you have an understanding of, of how you're going to play for a few years to come, then you can pick those pieces that work best with, with your program. Uh, but when you're kind of searching, but these kids, man, they're, they're, they are really good and they're really talented. It's just really an understanding of the pro game. So you really want to pick the best potential that you can find and then, you know, start to mold them into what your situation is. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are all in full swing and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. The Portland Trailblazers headed by Dame Lillard, that seems like a pretty good bet. And I'm not sure what the odds are at the moment, but you got to think uh, their chances as an eight seed are better than the average one. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. If you're uh, uh, a prospect, are are you kind of excited about the prospect of coming to Washington, or the op- you know the chance to come to Washington based on what you saw from them in the bubble? Like for me, I would think, hey, I could be a lottery player, but this is one of the few teams in the lottery that could also be a playoff team next year. So that would excite me, I would think. But I'm curious what what that's like from somebody who's actually been through it. Yeah, I think it's really for the outside world to talk about because as a player, I mean, anywhere that says, you know, that calls your name, you're going to be excited to be there. But I do think, you know, as your advisors and your small circle, you know, you get together, you have those conversations about you're having more conversation about best fit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Best case scenario that you could land in this position or the other scenario where you can land uh, in another situation. So I think on, on the player side, they're really focused on whoever calls my name, I'm going to make the best out of it. And I think as competitors, if you see a team that goes one and seven and you're drafted there, you automatically become the difference maker. So I think it can work both ways um, when you're doing the evaluation process. I'd heard Jason Tatum say this previously that he ended up going third to Boston, but he was really kind of expecting to end up originally, at least before they traded some picks around going fourth to Phoenix. Cause I think he worked out there twice and worked out well, but it sounded like he was kind of stoked to, to go to Phoenix because he might have more of an opportunity to come in right away and, and get bigger minutes and stuff like that. So is that sort of player specific you think about opportunity or what, what your goals are, I guess? I think it's, it's very common and consistent with those that have not been there and done that. 
-hmm. When I say that, I mean, it's not always the best case to go number one, right? Because that team is, is historically been a team that struggled, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it struggled over a number of years. Uh, so your talent, you know, you can be as talented as you want to be, but once you get into the NBA game, it's a totally different animal. So we talk about this all the time is that we have to thank, you know, the, the, the man above that with talent like Jason uh, going third to a team like Boston. I mean, I don't know if there's been a, a better case uh, as far as the kids coming out of the draft and into the league of falling into, you know, a situation like Boston, an Eastern Conference Finals team, a structured organization. So I think that as young players, we don't necessarily look at the best situation. Uh, we all want that number one behind our name, not because of the dollars, because it says that, you know, you, you are the best. But if you dig deeper into those situations, sometimes, you know, especially if these guys are coming freshman year, sophomore year, sometimes it's better to go 10, 15, 17, because Easy those are the teams – because those are the teams that have been successful. I mean, they have some sort of a, a culture, some sort of a, a record that they can hang their head on. So you come in and you learn, and obviously your talent will, will show itself. But I think, young, you know, young players, we don't look at it, or I didn't look at it in that sense when I first came out. Did you talk to Jason through that process at all, or Brad, or any of the other kind of St. Louis guys that came after you? Uh, Jason Moore. You know, Jason Moore, because of how close we are, me, me and his dad, you know, we have conversations about scenarios. Dad traveled around with me throughout my career. So he saw, you know, a lot of the ins and outs of the ability to get into a good situation where you're supported and how impactful and how important that is to, to be on a professional team where, you know, you have some foundation, you have some, you know, some skills within the, in the front office. I mean, that's a huge part. So we have conversations about that for sure. You always hear about teams being, you know, thinking the interviews are important and stuff like that. But as a player, is that important for you, how you kind of gel and fit with a coaching staff or a general manager in an interview? Is that, do you care about that at all? It's your, maybe your first impression or your first understanding that this is a business and meeting your bosses in a way that we're talking about things that are outside of, of court activity or how you live your life, how you eat, what's your family background. So I think that that's an experience and exposure uh, to becoming a professional that you need. Uh, but it's not really a, a tale on how that coach is going to coach you or who that coach is per se, because when you get in the battle, you get in, you know, they're, they're just kind of warming you up for when you get between the lines and things aren't going well, you know, that's a totally different guy um, than you would have had those dinners with or those initial interviews with. So I think it is important. I think it is important because it builds that understanding that this is a business and, and how you know, your, your bosses are going to hold you accountable. Yeah, that makes sense. Any last minute lottery draft thoughts, anything like that? I, I know they said uh, Rui is going to be the one sort of doing the virtual draft lottery. So hopefully he's our good luck charm. You know, with the draft and how different this world has, has been, you know, leading up to this point is that, you know, these, these guys would have already been on a team uh, by now, almost forget who's actually in the draft. So I actually need to take some time and review before tomorrow to understand, you know, how all these pieces can fall. Because again, once you talk about draft and you also have to talk about free agency and trades and things that, that'll come right along with that. And I can kind of see trades being involved because of how the season has gone and, and just the number of players that are involved in the situation with the G league and whatnot, um, that there'll be some player movement come draft night and even if you're drafted as a young as a young guy if you're drafted in a place you may not stay there but it's a great opportunity to 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 be drafted and experience that that journey 
last year was the first year that they let the players in the draft lottery. So I don't know if some of those kind of green room caliber guys will also be virtually on the call or not, but it made a little more sense when it was Zion and Ja or guy or RJ, when you kind of knew the order regardless of the team. So definitely something we'll keep an eye on. And once we kind of figure out where we land, maybe we can get some, some draft folks on here with us. Yeah. Uh, so one of the other things that they caught the, uh, Cut the kind of attention of the fan base, I think. Scott Brooks mentioned in one of his kind of exit comments about they're going to look hard at, at playing Rui at small forward next year and, and maybe trying Thomas Bryant at the four a little bit. That's, that's a little surprising to me. I, I think the biggest thing you could say negatively about both those guys, if, if you wanted to criticize, was they had trouble defending their position. So now you're going to sort of you know, move them up the pecking order to guard quicker, more athletic guys than they covered before, potentially. That just seems like you would be exposing that weakness maybe more so, but I'd love to get your take on it. No, I think it's it's something to look at. I think it's something to look at. I think everything is on the table, mm-hmm. uh, especially with positionless basketball. Uh, even though, you know, you'll have those those letters or those numbers by the name, it's, it's, it's really positionless because there's so much switching going on. Uh, there's so many rotations going on. So it's really about, for me, it's about that group that plays well together, mm-hmm. right? It's, you know, if you have like-sized guys, you know, their their positions may be flip-flop because the guy's just stronger, you know, in the paint. So that pushes the other guy outside. Mm-hmm. So I would look for more of combinations of guys that play well together. And if our focus is on the defensive end, as far as rotations and keeping guys out of the paint, I would start there. Um, and then that's a baseline to work off of because you have two stars that are coming back. And the things that are going to happen on offense, you haven't seen those things at least a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, I'm looking for you know, not necessarily positions of three or four or five, but which groups play well together. And then that's where I would start. And then that's where I would start to identify my rotations and how guys will come off. Because again, if you start those guys at the three or the four at the end of the game, and we've talked about small ball forever, it's going to be small ball. So what is that line going to look like? Because that's going to, determine what that record is going to look like to close the game out. That was kind of where I was going. I think, you know, you look at teams like Boston who looked pretty good, by the way, the, um, you know, they're going as many wings out there as possible. And and that, that key lineup is, is about switchability and flexibility. And that on paper to me just doesn't seem like it would give you a lot of flexibility. You're kind of pivoting, you know, the rest of the league's going small. So we're going to go extra big, but I, I think what you just said makes so much sense about you might as well try everything and, and see what makes sense. Yeah. You just have to be careful about taking away another guy's advantage, mm-hmm. especially a guy like Rui when, you know, you're expecting big things from him. You're expecting uh, to continue to develop him. So he, I mean, he's a, a strong kid and he uses that to his advantage uh, when he's able to get switches and things of that nature. So you just want to watch that you're not, changing things and you're taking away the a, a guy's advantage because that's not going to, you know, a guy's not going to like that at all. Right. Yeah. I think his biggest thing is that, you know, he's going to be quicker than a lot of power forwards and, you know, now he's got to guard a LeBron in a lineup like that or something that, that just is not going to be quicker in, in that matchup, I wouldn't think, or, you know, or more dynamic, I guess. That's good perspective, and that makes me feel a little bit about it. You know, I think some of that's probably coach speak, too. Just, uh, hey, we're going to – everything's on the table and a little easier to stomach, I think, just when he's got to say that at the end of the year. Oh, yeah, man. You you know, if if you're not raising that trophy or have that parade, everything is on the table. Yeah. Everything is on the drawing board. It's a whiteboard. Let's, let's figure it out and, and get back to the drawing board. 
So obviously, since we talked last, the the playoffs have officially started. Uh, any, I mean, there were obviously two big upsets yesterday. Any series that have particularly stood out to you or, or things that, you know, this is the one I'm going to DVR every time and make sure I catch every minute of this one? Man, all of them. <laughs> all, all of them. I, I, think it's, I think it's just, you know, whether it's the bubble or whether it's, you know, no fans. I mean, these guys are really competing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to tip my hat off to everyone that's competing in the bubble, those, even those 22 teams uh, that went to the bubble. And I, as we transition into to the playoffs, uh, just watching how these guys are competing. The fans are out of it, so there's no one is being cool or there's no sort of play to the reaction of the fans. Um, you know, guys are getting exposed if they if they're not locked in on the defensive end. Uh, so I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying it in every game that that I'm able to watch. I'm I'm actually watching because of that fact. There's no nonsense. Uh, these guys are competing at a at a high level. It's really the best basketball I've seen. I don't want to say ever like Charles Barkley the other night, but <laughs> I mean I haven't watched much basketball like this man as long as I can remember. Just you know from top to bottom how these guys are competing. Uh, it's a great thing to watch. Yeah, there's usually like a series or two that are just kind of a dud, and it's like this team's just happy to be here, and they're not really like everybody I've seen so far is like they're going to die on the court if they have to, to to pull a win out, and and that's yeah, that's not kind of what I expected to be honest. I thought there'd be a couple clunkers, but not so far. Yeah, and and I'm watching. I mean, we we talk about upsets and we talk about the games that are being played, but it's it's much different when you talk about an upset you know, when an eight seed is going into the one seed's home court right. and then they're snatching one away. I mean, this is equal playing field. It's just you and it's us, you know, and, and they're going to battle. And I think that that's the, the difference as far as the talking about upsets and talking about things in the past is that these guys are playing on a neutral site. So the eight seed, they don't really care mm-hmm. that, you know, the game is a home game for the other team because it's on a neutral site. And I think that that's what's making it good brand of basketball because the other team, they don't feel that that disadvantage. You know, they're, they're coming in, you know, on the same level, on the same playing field every game, every single day. I think one of the bigger things it seems like to me for, for home court advantage is just the energy around your team. If you're a one seed, like the expectation is high. The fan base is really into it. And if you're the eight, like there's some amount of just like, a, okay, well, I hope we put up a good fight. But this seems like a like it's kind of leveled the – you know, it's a level set. Like everybody is now just sort of O and O and, and your record all year doesn't matter. And it's just the vibe has been different from the lower seeds, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like they, they seem into it. I love it because there, there's no, you know, when we talk about role players on the road and, and how, you know, how they must step up and, you know, how the, the role players, you know, when they're at home, they play so well. It's like a mixture of, of everything because there's no real, road game so there's no travel I mean it's just going to be completely different from an HC walking into that arena to play versus you know walking into that that away arena to play it's just it's a completely different mindset I know that the eight seeds they're at ease mm-hmm. I mean they're at ease I think the pressure comes when you are going into that building when fans are on you when everybody is making a comment about you know how fast their team is going to get you out of there that's motivation but that's also pressure and right now those guys they don't have that i mean it's 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 free game it's a jump ball and let's see who wins it 
Yeah, and I, I think part of this too is some of those rosters that that got these top seeds their record aren't aren't fully intact too. So maybe they seem a little more ripe for the picking than normal. You know, I think the Avery Bradley loss especially seemed noticeable in in that Blazers Lakers game. But maybe let's start there with both the eight seeds. Uh, do you think either Portland uh, or Orlando can can actually pull this out? I know Charles Barkley was the one screaming the Blazers are going to sweep now and. I'm curious if you think they have a shot of, of actually kind of pulling out the the full upset. Well, I, I would say yes. I would say yes because I think, you know, I've seen a neutral side. It's a rhythm game. So whichever team can catch their rhythm, I'm not talking about any sweeps. I think you'll get a, a clearer picture uh, game three when you have a little bit of adversity. You'll see like Boston, you'll have a guy go down. So I would never, you know, talk about game one. Oh, it's over. You know, this team is going home. I always like to give a chance to have some adversity kick in to see what's going to be the next move. Uh, but Portland, man, Portland is, is, is legit. Um, they have legit guys that are, that are seasoned and, and ready to battle. Uh, they have wing guys. They have guys that can make shots. So I think that that's a lot of pressure on the Lakers uh, because of where they stand, because of who they have on their team that, you know, the, it, it gets a little tight. You know, it gets a little tight in those situations. And I don't think Milwaukee has has much to worry about. Um, I think they played terrible uh, their first game. I think they were very out of sync. Um, I think they this was nothing that Giannis hasn't seen before, but Orlando did a great job of just walling up with three people uh, at the free throw line and making him make a decision uh, to pass early, which I, I, I don't think he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not really nervous about, about Milwaukee and Orlando. But that Portland-Lakers series, is, it should be a good one. We'll see how it turns out. I still would personally expect the Lakers to to pull that one out just because it seems almost impossible that they could shoot that bad again. You know, that might not be their, their strength, but that's that was an especially tough, tough performance to watch. Yeah, so, so I think Braun had, what, like 26, 16, some, somewhere in there, 15 or 16, but he could have had 40. Yeah. I mean, he he's a guy that can go for 40 with – that number of assists and also that number of rebounds. So with the Lakers, it's kind of like you're kind of waiting on him to explode. And as you know, fans of of those teams, you kind of you understand that at any given moment, LeBron can go into that mode where he can't be stopped. I mean, I just watched a couple of times where a couple of guys bumped into him and they ended up under the basket. Yeah. And if I mean that was only four or five possessions. So if he did that 12 times, you know, those guys are going to be in trouble. So they'll have to make a decision, you know, sooner or later. Gary Trent absolutely bounced off of him on one, like 10, 10 feet across the court. It's just too small. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And you can see it in his face, and you can see how his body just tensed up as soon as he hit him, <laughs> that he had nowhere to go but yeah. back. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, you said LeBron definitely could have had 40 in that game, and I totally agree with you. I also feel like he could have had, like, 25 assists if guys had made shots you would expect you know, typically expect some of those guys to make. Like Danny Green has been a pretty clutch playoff performer for most of his career, and, and he he had kind of a rough start to things. How much of that is just LeBron having that mindset for game one of knowing like, hey, I need these guys down the road. I, I got to try to get them going. And does he abandon that in game two and just say, okay, now we just need the win. I'm going to take this one over, get us to 1-1, and then maybe we try that again. No, I think he still checks the temperature. I think he still checks the temperature. I still think he allows his teammates to to make shots. So I, I think he's still in this, the same mode. Him making free throws, him taking a few more shots uh, that he waited 
three or four seconds to pass the ball. He could have just taken the shot. I think he'll take those shots just to speed up the game a little bit, allow AD to get some of those offensive rebounds and crash the board, allow those bigs to crash the board more. Uh, because when you shoot those threes from so far out, it's tough for those big guys to crash the board. That ball is bouncing so far out. So if, if they get more attempts in, in the paint and Brian can do that, then it'll give Dwight Howard and AD a chance mm-hmm. to get fingers on the basketball and tip basketballs in. So I would look for that to be Brian's adjustment is to get more shots, you know, closer to the paint. So they have a better ability to offensive rebound and punish those guys even more. Yeah, it seemed like Portland maybe did a better job of exploiting their kind of mismatch there. You know, like it's it's really tough for anybody on that Lakers team to to stay in front of Lillard the whole time. And LeBron has that same advantage. Like I felt bad for Carmelo a couple of times because he just he didn't he's never been maybe a lockdown defender. And, and that's an especially tough matchup, I, I think, at this point. Overall, you would go Lakers, you think, to pull it out? Overall, I, I would go Lakers. Okay. Overall, I would go Lakers, but I do think it'll be a beat-down series, mm-hmm. and I think we'll get a better gauge rolling into game three. Okay, I think we're both on the same page that the Bucks are, are going to be just fine. It's the same thing with Toronto last year. They lost their first game of the playoffs and then swept the rest of that series. So I, I, I think you're 100% right on just getting their footing and stuff like that. Uh, all right, so Raptors, Nets, Raptors are up 1-0. I think that's probably the the matchup I see as maybe being the most lopsided of the first round. Like, that wouldn't surprise me if that was a sweep. You think the Nets can make that interesting? I think they'll make it interesting. Will they When they win a game, I think they will win a game. I think that they're exciting to watch, and that's why I said, you know, all of the teams, because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're going to get from those guys. I mean, they have good wing scores, but they also have uh, some good young talent in the inside that's attacking a basket. And when you can attack the basket, I mean, that you're putting pressure on the other team and you get into the foul trouble and you get into situations where uh, you can gain some momentum and the game is about runs. So just putting enough runs together is, is going to be the best case for them. Uh, but Toronto's tough, man. Yeah. Toronto's tough. I mean, obviously, I have them in the Eastern Conference Finals, so I don't see them losing many games in the playoffs. But I think, you know, I think the Nets will get, get one game in this series for sure. Like it. Celtics Sixers. This is actually the only game of the the first set so far that I didn't see any of. I just caught highlights after the fact. But I saw your boy looked pretty good uh from, from the box score. Yeah, I think it's uh fresh legs for, for him for sure. Uh, having those days off leading into that first game and then again you'll have a couple days uh into the next game, which will be good for him. Uh, like we, we spoke about earlier, just that adversity kicks in when you get an injury or, you know, something happens, someone has to leave the bubble, uh, like a Utah group. Uh, so Gordon Hayward went down. And I think that was a, you know, I think that was a, a big piece of, of what they do. I mean, mm-hmm. He is kind of unsung in, in this situation, but he's very solid and, and very reliable. Uh, so when Jay is struggling, uh, and Jalen Brown is, 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 you know, not having his game going, they look to Hayward to settle things down. So we'll have to see how that turns out. But Philadelphia, I mean, I think that they're under un- undermatched with what Boston's able to put out on the floor over a 48-minute period. I think that they'll be able to play uh, with Boston, but I think that they'll over overwhelm them late in games. I think that that's where they'll pull away. I don't see it being any blowouts. I see that each game being close and then that last, you know, six to eight minutes, Boston getting some separation. Expect Embiid to have one like 37 and 14 game and just totally get them a win almost by himself. But I just, he needs some help. And I think those roster 
you know, issues look even worse now without Simmons to kind of help them, you know, rise above it. So that, that, that's a tough, that's a tough ask, I think, in terms of matchups. Heat Pacers. Uh, so Miami's up one zero so far. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if the Pacers pulled this one. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that they will, but to me, that's sort of the closest on paper matchup of, of the first round in the East. What do you think? I, I agree. I agree. I think it depends on how, how Victor is going to play and I know he got poked in the eye in the first mm-hmm. game but they're going to need him T- TJ is is putting the ball in the, in the hole at a, at a high clip uh, Miami's a young group a young team uh, this is their first year uh, kind of rocking and rolling so they'll have some some troubles there as, as you know as the vices get a little little bit more tense and things get a little bit closer sure. uh, but I see Indiana's an equal to or less than mm-hmm. I mean they're, they're not better than the heat you know they may be equal but in reality, you know, they're probably a little bit less than. And I think that that's how the se- the series is going to go. Uh, they're going to compete. They're going to fight hard. Uh, those guys are going to have some good games. But I think that the Heat will, will pull that out in the end. And I think Jimmy Butler is, is a huge reason uh, why that, that's going to happen. Yeah, I think I would have pointed to, you know, Kendrick Nunn and Hero and Duncan Robinson and, and, and like in their first real meaningful game experience, you know, when it when it actually matters would be an issue. but but Butler seemed to have those guys like pretty, pretty dialed in too. And, and that goes a long way when you have somebody that, that kind of just sets the tone for people. The Pacers just seem like a high floor team to me. So, you know, like they're going to be, Brogdon's going to be pretty solid. Turner's going to hopefully give you more than what he gave you the other night most of the time. But yeah, if Oladipo's not, not putting in big numbers, that, that's, that's a tough ask. Let's jump over to the other side here. Jazz Nuggets first round, first game went to the went to overtime. Nuggets pulled it out. I would see that kind of be the the way the rest of that series plays out too. More more good competitive games, but just the Jazz don't have enough left at this point. And I, I love it. I love it. That was a great battle. Yeah. Uh, two teams that are, are very equally matched, mm-hmm. fought all year. Uh, you know, in in the standings, and I think that I like Denver. Uh, I like Denver, but man, I like, I like spider. He's tough. You know, I, 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 I like him an awful lot, man. I, I like his mentality. I like him to a little bit of a, a Dame Lillard, but I think overall, man, it, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. This is the one that I, I struggle a little bit on, but I think I want to go with Utah in this series. I like it. I want to, I want to go with Utah in this series. Uh, obviously they, they're missing, uh, Conley will be back, but they're missing one of their main guys. But I think that, you know, I think he's ready to step up to the challenge. This is like one of those years where I would have like loved to see how it played out with them both at full strength. If if Denver had everybody available, Utah had everybody available, just because it, it's kind of like an interesting set of matchups, I think. And Porter Jun- Michael Porter Jr. is as a name that the, I think Wizards fans kind of keep an eye on because there was a lot of hoping he would fall to us. What have you seen from him so far, and what do you think his sort of long-term ceiling is? Well, he, he's a local kid. And I've known him since you know okay. since he was in in little league basketball, nice. and uh, great offensive talent. Uh, definitely can be a, a game changer. Uh, you saw it early on in the game. Really geeked up to play basketball. Great offensive talent. What I saw is that he struggled on the defensive end, mm-hmm. and late in the game, it actually got him pulled out of the game. Um, even though they needed him on the offensive end. He was just such a liability on the defensive end. A coach could not keep him out on the court. So I think with him, and definitely going to tell him this, is we have to watch film. 
You know, you have to understand on the defensive end, the defensive concepts, uh, what needs to happen. I mean, they were picking on him. You know, they were calling him up for screening roles and everything was a switch to get Michael Porter on you. Because again, if they make him play defense, then his offense may struggle and they know that that's where his strong suit is. So I think that uh, just the ability to, to understand some of those defensive concepts and he's going to be a, a special player in this league. And he, again, he's a rookie, so we shouldn't expect him to understand everything from day one. Uh, but if you watch that film, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see him you know, kind of like a deer in headlights, kind of lost out there. And in order to get where he's trying to go, he's going to have to shore that up. Is that stuff they can kind of work on with him in real time as the playoffs go along? Or is that sort of a, hey, we gotta, we'll have to fix that with him next year? Or, or can you work on that enough in real time, I guess, to keep him out on the floor? No, I think it's a, an off-season sort of deal uh, because there's a lot of thinking involved, mm-hmm. and you can't play basketball thinking. So right. it's some you know you have to be instinctful, and you don't get that a chance to develop that in in the, in the heat of the battle. So I wouldn't necessarily uh, sit down and try to you know beat it into him right now. I will make I would make him aware of it, and I'm sure he's definitely aware. His dad's a coach, so his, his family is a bunch of basketball players, so I'm sure they've made him aware of it. Uh, but at the same time, if he can threaten to be a threat on, on, on offense, then, you know, sometimes you can get away with the defensive end, but not for long. So if, if he shores that defensive end up, he'll, he'll, he'll be fine. Like it. All right. I think that's one of the few we're, we're differing on then. I'm going to take the nugget. So we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, one of the games I was enjoying the most, though, was that Clippers-Mavs game. You know, I, I think as we talked about the other week, the the Clippers are just so deep and the Mavericks just like didn't seem scared of them. And then obviously the the double technical with Marcus Morris that resulted in Kristaps Porzingis getting getting ejected kind of derailed their chance at, at pulling off the upset there. Uh, do you think and now I think he's listed as questionable with the leg injury too. Uh, I think that really puts a big uh, big hurt on their uh, or hamper on their chances to win that series. But that was a fun first game. You think they got any shot? Well, I think Lucas is, is must-watch TV. Yeah. Very special player. Um, how he maneuvers on the court. Gets his teammates involved, so I give them always a fighting chance. Uh, but it's going to be tough for those guys. The Clippers are so uh, deep within their roster. I uh, can throw so many bodies at those guys. Pressure, pressure. You know, over a seven-game series, that is, that is very tough. Uh, so I don't see that the, the Clippers having much problem with those guys other than, you know, it won't be a walk in the park. So there mm-hmm. won't be any blowouts, I don't think. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see how that one goes, but I'll pick the Clippers. I try to be fair, you know, on stuff like this. I, I got to admit, I did not see uh, the Luka thing playing out the way it has. Like, I, I assumed he'd be pretty good, but if you'd have told me that he'd be dropping almost 40 points and a triple-double in a playoff round by, by year two, I would have told you you were nuts. Um, I just kind of surprised. Uh, what, do you, what do you think that is? Is that just the style of play really suits his skill set too, or just being older helped, all of the above? No, it, it's all a skill game. I mean, the entire NBA game is, is now a skill game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I say a skill game, it's your combo dribble moves in space. You know, th- these guys are shooting these shots, you know, a thousand times a week, a thousand times a week with some sort of the same resistance that they're getting in games. So it's really comfortable for these guys now to really go into your skill work and then get your shot off. And that's what I see. You know, I, I see it with, with, with Jason, you know, I see him go into his skill work and I see him get off the same shots that he practiced uh, when he's in the gym 
uh, working out. And I, you know, I see that consistently through the NBA is that it's really a skills game and he has a lot of skills. He's been doing it uh, since what age of 13, uh, especially at, at a high level. So I think that he understands the cadence. He understands the pace. He understands the rhythm and angles. And I think that that's all a part of, you know, skill development. He has it. Oh, he has it for sure. He's got some dog in him too. Like he went at Kawhi a couple of times. He had that one where he drove Kawhi stuffed him and he had to put back and kind of gave him the look after. I, I love shit like that. When guys just don't care. It's, it's like, uh, you know, Jason Duncan on LeBron as a rookie, like just give him that look after like, that's, that's fun when these guys don't have fear factor or they're not, you know, sort of reverential to the, the big guys. Oh, you, you need that. I mean, you need that. It's a battle. We should say, you know, if you, you walk past someone, you can sniff fear. You know, that's part, that's part of it. Some of, some of these guys, they don't, you know, they're, they're not necessarily vocal, but they'll give you a look. They'll give you a bump. They'll give you something that lets you know that, you know, they're not the one to, to, to play around <laughs> with or mess with. They'll give you something. Those, those ones that don't give you anything, oh, I mean, you're like a Pat Bev on them, like a pit bull. I mean, those are the guys that you're, you know, you're attacking. Uh, all right, last one, Thunder Rockets. Uh, I think I saw a lot of like, ooh, Thunder have no chance uh, just because that one got away from them quickly. I, I still think they'll make that a series, but I, I don't – like competitive games more so than the first one, but I don't I don't think they got any chance to win that series. Do you? I do. I, I do think they have a chance to win because I think it'll be – I think it'll be a long series. Then we're talking about shooting the three. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it can be a situation because when I watched the game, I saw, I saw OKC go on a run and make some shots and then I also saw them get some stops, but then I also saw Houston hit three threes in a row. So that just, I mean, if you were down six and you get three threes, you know, then that just stretches your lead out. So I think if, if OKC can guard the three point line a little bit better, obviously continue to put pressure on James Harden to make all the plays and all the reads. You know, I think as you get, you know, into, you know, a seven-game series, I think that there's some opportunities to, to win some games. Uh, you have great leadership with Chris Paul, who's going to put all the guys in, in the best position possible to be successful. And I think when you – we've seen it, you know, over the last few playoff years of Houston and their streaks of going cold from the three-point line. And all that you need is one game that they're cold, and then that game can transfer into the next game. And it could be a, a snowball effect. So I think that you, I'm keeping that into account that in any given time, you know, they can go cold from the three-point line. And I think OKC has a good enough team that they can take advantage of that if it happens. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I definitely don't see the rest of them playing out the way that first one did. I think some of those, like you shot, those shots were demoralizing and killed some runs and just doesn't seem to me like they have enough maybe firepower to pull four games out. That That is sort of how I, I looked at that. But, uh, yeah, the Rockets got to make a lot of shots. So uh, I guess this is, uh, you know, where, where Chris Paul is, as a leader like that can earn that big paycheck too, kind of keeping the guys like a Shea Gilgis that, you know, still new to this, like kind of help, help him keep his spirits up and stuff like that. So first round in the playoffs, pretty well previewed there for everybody. We'll see. I think a lot of these games will already have happened by the time we, we, we talk again next week. So that's kind of the cool thing about how fast they're playing in the bubble. Uh, just a couple other rapid fires I, I want to throw at you uh, real quick, Larry. I listened to your boy Jason do an interview with JJ Reddick on the JJ Reddick podcast, and 
he talked about how he shoots in the 80s as a golfer, and JJ said he had the cleanest swing in the bubble, and there's some pretty good golfers in the NBA bubble, but he said he really had only been playing since like May. Is that is that reasonable? Like that's that seems insane to me. Yeah, he, he just started. Uh, he just started. He hired um, a, a golf coach, uh-huh. and he's been going consistent. I mean, he, he's been putting in you know the work and putting in the hours, and he's an athlete. Uh, hand-eye coordination, uh, and, and he has patience. So he's, but it, that is true. I mean, we we watch him, we get videos, and I mean, he's hitting 300-yard shots with drivers, you know, with iron. Excuse me, with irons and things of that nature. So it, it is true. I know you golf with his dad a little bit here recently. Is that uh, is that running the family too? Uh, yeah, man, they're, they're both strong as ox, man. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we call we call Big Justin uh, Paul Bunyan. I mean, he. <laughs> He can, he can hit the ball a mile. Um, and those guys are built the same way. And we just kind of, you know, have some fun doing something different. And uh, we connect doing something different. And, you know, we'll uh, Justin will get on FaceTime and, you know, let Jay's out riding in the cart or, you know, we're on the golf course. So it's 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 definitely, you know, fun to, to see and, and interesting that we've um, moved into playing golf, which we had no idea. We never wanted to play golf before. This is the pandemic has helped us out all. I like it. Yeah, you got to try something new, right? Or, or get get into something new a little bit more. Uh, the the other thing that came up during during that podcast, um, JJ mentioned that uh, he borrowed shoes from Brandon Ingram, and then had a sort of a surprise moment of when Ingram told him, "Yeah, he could borrow shoes." He was like, "Oh shit!" That was the first time I'd heard Brandon Ingram talk in like weeks. I don't know if you've dealt with him or interacted with him at all, but apparently he's. He's a quiet guy. I know you've said that you were a quiet guy, you know, especially earlier in your career. Is is that tougher as an NBA player when you're not chatty in the locker room and stuff like that with guys? Like, is it just kind of easier to let, be low key? Like, what what's that like? Yeah, I think we all come from different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all, again, we all have different backgrounds. So we're from different cities. I mean, he's from, I guess, from Kingston. He's from North Carolina for sure, okay. and that's where where Jerry Stackhouse is from. Um, and it's it's one of those you know small little little towns in in North Carolina. So, you know, being an outgoing person probably wouldn't fit, you know, the area where he comes from. Mm-hmm. And you know, you kind of get it honest, and you don't have to be a, a vocal person or a loud person to to be a star, compete in the, in the NBA. I think you just have to have a you know people need an understanding of of who you are. You know, like a guy that's not going to take a bunch of shit or. You know, it's not going to try to be the class clown and not going to try to stand out uh, in a room when it's about the team. So I think it's sometimes it's to your advantage. Like a lot of times they say don't mess with the quiet guy. So, you know, you get the benefit, <laughs> you kind of get the benefit of both. Like, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Well, don't mess with him. So we'll, you know, we'll never find out. It's a silent killer approach too. I, I like that. You know, just handle your business, let your play do the talking. I would imagine that relies on kind of having the right teammates too, to not take that a certain kind of way. You know, it's not, Hey, I'm not chatting to you because I'm, I'm better than you guys or anything. It's just, I'm a quiet guy. Uh, so hopefully they've got the right blend of dudes to, to maximize that, I guess. Yeah. And as long as he's going out and competing, uh, moving at basketball, being for his teammates, you know, helping his teammates up, but uh, they'll, you know, I'm, I'm sure they understand what his personality is. That shouldn't be a problem. Very cool. Um, all right, last one I got for you. This sort of came up on one of the other Believe podcasts, uh, Believe in Kentucky Basketball. My boy Vinny Hardy is is the host there uh, with Tony Delk uh, on that okay. show. And they started talking about if there was a Believe two-on-two tournament, 
how they would do in it. So they, they, they threw us a shout out there as, as one of the, the possible competitors. So Robert Sacre, that played at Gonzaga and for the Lakers, does a show. Ralph Sampson, whatever age he's at, does a show now. And Rick Barry, I think we could probably take them out of the two-on-two running at this point. But Kareem Rush does a Lakers podcast. How are we holding up in this tournament, Larry? Can you, can you carry me? Man, my, my first step is still pretty good. Okay. Um, but probably my rotations on deep defense to help you out, they wouldn't be so good. I so, like it. <laughs> so we will just make sure that you have to stay in front of your guy for as long as you can. And keep, your, keep your body in between the guy as, for as long as you can, and we can come and get the rebound. But my rotations are probably way slow, like too it. slow. <laughs> I think we could hang with those guys. The one that, the one that worries me a little bit, uh, the UCLA podcast is David and Travis Ware. That's, that's a lot of size on one team. I, I don't think I can check a 6'8 guy. Yeah, man, this guy's probably 10 years younger than me, man. Yeah, they might be 10 years younger than me at this point. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to put the theoretical uh, believe podcast uh, board together yeah. here and, and let people vote. Yeah, we got to do a bracket challenge. I like it. I'll uh, I'll put out some some workout videos for people and stuff of me making four consecutive layups or something. Uh, all right, Larry, that's all I had for us this week. A couple of quick hitters there just to to wrap things up on on a lighter note. Uh, anything you want to throw out there before we before we call it a week? No, just keep you know tuning in to to the bubble and the playoff games. I mean, they're high level games. You know, like I said before, I mean, I can't remember you know watching games this competitive and this locked. These these guys are are, are so locked in. They understand the challenges that are ahead. May not. Hopefully, we'll, we'll never get a chance to experience this again. Uh, so if you can, you know, definitely check out the playoffs this year uh, in the bubble. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. I've seen a couple of people say this too, but the midday game really does give you that kind of March Madnessy vibe too. Like that, that that's been my favorite part is is taking my lunch break and, and watching a little basketball too. Yep, it brings you back to the, to the NCAA tournament. You know, obviously getting trying to get your work done and closing that laptop so you can go <laughs> and, and check those games out. I mean, it's it's great, man. Especially as a basketball fan, uh, I'm loving you know what the NBA did uh, to bring everything together, keep everybody as safe as possible. Um, and just have the opportunity to go out and compete uh, and do the things that they love to do, and they're doing it at a, at a crazy high level. Perfectly said, partner. Uh, folks, hit us up uh, on social media, Believe in Wizards, B-L-E-A-V. We're, we're going to try to shake things up a little bit format-wise, give you some things to – some different looks and, uh, and, and different podcasts over the next couple of weeks. So if you got any suggestions or stuff you want to hear or, or get Larry's uh, input on, reach out, let us know. And, and as always, uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And, and we'll talk to you all next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.